Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. We've been in a series um, called Glorious Grace, looking at great um, sections in Ephesians about the grace of God. We've been in uh, verses 15 through 23 for a couple of weeks. It's Paul's prayer in chapter 1 of Ephesians. And it's interesting, last week I, I stood up here and I said, well, we're finishing Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. And, uh, you know, like midway through the sermon or maybe near the end, I just realized there, there's more here, we're not done. And it wasn't an issue of time, it wasn't because I was hungry, um, it just was that I just sensed, you know, the Lord just, just leading me to kind of leave it where it was and come back this week with, with really a completely new message uh, looking at verses 19 through 23 and the title being Knowing God's Immeasurable Power. And so that's what we're looking at this morning. And I think, you know, I just want to start with that idea of knowing um, because that's Paul's prayer. He prays here that you may know. He says, what is the hope? which he has called you? What is the inheritance that you have in the saints? And what is the power uh, that you have in Christ? He says, that you may know. That's his prayer. And, you know, I was just thinking about knowing, the importance of knowing. And I was thinking, ironically, it just wasn't planned this way, but I was thinking about coffee. And I was thinking, you know, I thought I knew coffee until I knew coffee. Um, Can I get an amen? Yeah. Some of you are like, oh gosh, here we go. But, you know, I remember uh, when I started drinking coffee in college, I'd go study at a coffee shop and, um, you know, I thought I knew coffee. And I remember even coming home from grad school and seeing that my parents, like, they still drank like eight o'clock coffee. I was like, oh my goodness, dad, like, what's going on? Like, and I introduced him to like Seattle's best, you know? Like, Dad, like, here's Seattle's best. Like, come on, up your game. Like, this is embarrassing. I can't, like, be here. I have to wake up and go to Starbucks in the morning and come back because I can't do this with you guys. And, uh, I mean, it was real, I was real judgmental about it, and I thought I knew coffee. And, you know, I didn't even know anything. Later, our church would share office space with a coffee roaster, and we would go in the back and roast the beans and talk about you know, the roast date and cuppings and get to really know coffee. And I realized, you know, now I feel like I'm starting to really know this thing. I thought I knew before, though. And my parents are still drinking Seattle's best. I got them up to that level. They're stuck there, though. But isn't that the way it is, though, with knowing things? You think you know You think you know a lot, and then there's more to know. And that's exactly Paul's prayer here to Christians who know Christ, but he's writing and praying for them that they may really know what is the power toward them. It's interesting, in Matthew chapter 9, this word that Paul uses when he is praying that you may know, this word, it means to perceive, to be aware of. It literally means to know through experience. That's why I share that story about you think you know, but then your experience broadens and deepens, and then you really know. Jesus used this same word in Matthew chapter 9. 
he healed a paralyzed man. But instead of saying, you're healed, he actually said, your sins are forgiven. And the religious people standing there were so angry. Who does he think he is forgiving sin like that? Be a healer, Jesus. Verse 4 of Matthew 9. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, why do you think evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? Here's the key verse. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's that same word for know, this idea of perceiving, being aware of, being really alert to something, knowing through experience. So Paul, that's his prayer. You know, verse 18 of Ephesians 1, it says, Having had the eyes of your hearts enlightened, my prayer for you, Ephesians, Paul says this, is that you may know what is the hope which he has called you, the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints. And here's the key part for us this morning. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? And so uh, our outline this morning has four points. Four points to it. What we're seeing in our outline is God's immeasurable power at work. All right? The first point is about God's power at work in us. And so it's very relevant and practical to our lives. Point two, point three, and point four are really helping us see just how immeasurably great God's power really is as we look at it in the work of Christ. That's where this outline goes. And the point of the sermon is the title of the sermon, Knowing God's Immeasurable Power. So I said we're studying this prayer of Paul. We're focusing on 19 to 23 this morning. But since we are for sure, I think, coming to the end of this prayer, I'm just going to read 15 to 23 in its entirety, this whole prayer, and then I'm going to pray. and We're going to study our, our sermon this morning. Ephesians 1.15, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I did not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in us when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand, at his right hand, in the heavenly places, far above all rule, and authority, and power, and dominion, and above every name that is named, and not only this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Bow with me and pray. Father in heaven, we want to know your immeasurable and great power in our lives. Our experience is far too shallow, 
superficial and not up to the standard that you've called us to. God, we thank you that you have saved us. We thank you for that those who have placed their faith in Christ, as it says in the passage this morning, your immeasurably great power is toward those who believe. Lord, we thank you for that truth this morning. And we pray that we would know it, that we would experience it, and that we would share the good news of the risen Christ in this Easter season with our family, with our friends, with our city, and even with our world. In Jesus' name, amen. Knowing God's immeasurable power. So we're looking at God's immeasurable power at work. The first point is at work in my life as a believer in Jesus. At work in my life as a believer in Jesus. So this is coming from verse 19. So let me read it. So again, he's praying that they may know, like he wants them to really, really, really know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. So the point is, God's immeasurable power at work in my life as a believer in Jesus. This word immeasurable is important, I think. It's an adjective used by Paul here of the power of God. Power is really important. Power gets stuff done. Power tools. Power outages are the worst, right? The power's out. Uh Uh-oh. We like to measure power because it's so important. Horsepower. V8, V6. The earthquake on the Richter scale. The category of the hurricane. The miles per hour of the wind. Solar-powered. Electric-powered. Diesel Nuclear power. We measure power because we want to understand it. The reason we want to understand it is because we need it. Because power gets stuff done. And the truth for us here in verse 19, just the first thing you know that we've got to grab onto that Paul is saying is that God's power is immeasurable. It's immeasurable. <laughs> like you can't measure it. God wants the Ephesian Christians, perhaps powerless in their own sight, perhaps feeling powerless, Paul writing to them, perhaps feeling powerless from prison in Rome. Paul wants them to know, not just know, not like facts know, like experientially know that God's power is immeasurably great. Think about that. And it's not great if you recognize that this morning. It's great whether you do or not. It's immeasurably great. And the amazing thing is what he says next when he says that this immeasurably great power is toward where? It says toward us who believe. I, you know... I remember going to like basketball games growing up and 
you know, the, the cheerleaders would run out on the court and they'd have like their slingshot. They'd have their t-shirt and a ball and they'd kind of like aim it, you know. And when they aimed you, you're like, over here, you know. And if you do that enough, then maybe they pick you, right? And they shoot it towards you. And I remember doing that and it was in vain always because I was really way up high. But they still look, they kind of fake it. They look at you, but their slingshot doesn't even reach me up there. But still, it's the idea of the, you know, when they're facing like the other side of the stadium, it's like, ah, who cares? Like, yeah, that's them. Yeah, I'm not really into that. But when they turn and face you, oh, it's our turn, it's our turn. Let's make it toward us, right? It's amazing that God's immeasurable power, Paul says, is toward us who believe. We got really excited in Raleigh when fiber is coming, right? Like, it's coming, it's coming to us. We're going to be so powerful. We almost got Amazon headquarters too, you know, almost got Ikea till Carrie ruined it. You know, it's coming to us, the power. We're so excited. Toward us who believe, that's exciting. I was reading a book this past week called Superheroes Can't Save You, Epic Examples of Historic Heresies. And the book just basically goes through all the current superheroes, Superman, Batman, Ant-Man, all the comic book superheroes, and talks about how, ironically, they are phenomenally similar to the historic heresies in church history. Um, You know, so, and they like perfectly fit with them. And so, like, example, like Superman is docetism. You know, that, the, that heresy, that false teaching was that Jesus only appeared to be human, right? He was disguised as mild-mannered Clark. He wasn't really human. I mean, we all know he was from planet Krypton. And that's like Jesus. Like, he appeared to be human. Or you might even say uh, Batman, the, the poster boy of liberalism, the heresy there. You know, Jesus appeared to be divine. He really wasn't. Batman wasn't, he had no superpowers. I think he was asked in one of the movies, what's your superpower? And he's like, I'm rich. He's like, I'm rich. I'm just an incredibly clever human being with lots of gadgets and profound intelligence and wealth. So people would would maybe liken that to a false teaching in church history where people say, well, Jesus was just, he just was an incredible human being. That's all he was. And it goes on and on through all the different ones. It's an amazing book. Anyways, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about God's power. I was thinking about knowing God's power in our lives. I was thinking about how I think for much of my life, and maybe even in some ways still today, I think I kind of view Jesus as a superhero. You know, the ultimate superhero. And it makes sense, right? However, I think I let this lead me to longing to see God's power appear in my life in ways that are not promised in Scripture. In ways that are probably more superficial, though still impressive, yet superficial. So what does the immeasurable power of God look like in our lives as Christians, in ways that we truly need it 
and in ways that God actually promises it. What does that look like? And let's just think about it for a moment. He says first here is our clue toward us who believe. So just stop there and, and make a note of the fact that your belief in the gospel is your first and perhaps most profound encounter with the immeasurably great power of God. You didn't do that. You're not powerful enough to break the bondage that's in your fallen heart and mind away from self-reliance, away from sin, and choose to believe in Jesus? No. That's the power of God. The world does not have the power to do that. But God has worked that power in the lives of Christians. In Matthew chapter 9, um, Jesus says, who do they say that I am? And Peter says, well, I say that you are the Messiah. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Peter, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. The power of God has given you faith, Peter. Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. So one of the ways that the power of God is supposed to be expressed in our lives and is expressed in our lives if we're Christians is power for faith and for the Christian life and salvation. Power for living the Christian life is another one. You know that you cannot live the Christian life. Only Christ through you and in you can live the Christian life. The world, no one in the world, apart from the grace of God, has the ability to please God, who is perfect, holy, and sinless, and good, truly good. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. So power for faith and salvation, power for living the Christian life, power over fear of death and over our enemies and over evil and over the devil. You know, and we've seen this, the world and many worldly Christians are terrified and afraid. One of the things that God's immeasurably great power can do in our lives is give us courage. Help us to not be afraid. Can you imagine just reading this passage, this part of Paul's prayer, next time your child calls you into their room because they're afraid? Just read about the power of God. Just meditate on that together. It drives out fear. 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Power for belief, power for salvation, power for living the Christian life, power for you know, not being afraid, and then power to minister in the power of Christ. Acts 1, 8 says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria 
and to the ends of the earth. So what verse 19 is telling us is that God's power is immeasurable and it is toward you and me who believe the power of God at work in our lives now. That's the will of God. And so again, just kind of a a transition here in uh, verse, let's see, what verse are we in? We are in uh, verse 19. So let me just show you. Here's the transition to the rest of the outline in the sermon. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now here it is. According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. So he, 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 he makes the point about God's immeasurably great power at work toward those who believe, and then he straps it on to what he's about to say by saying this is all according to that which he worked, that he worked. You see, he keeps talking about working. That's why the outline is the immeasurable power of God at work. And so the first point is kind of like this. It's kind of like if I were to tell you, you come to check in at a hotel and I'm working at the front desk. And I tell you, oh, hi, welcome. You've been upgraded to a top floor room with an amazing view. In that moment, if you've never been there before, you're like, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. That's a good thing for me. Um, but that's about it. You, you haven't been in there yet. So you're, you're excited, but you know your excitement's kind of like, all right, that's going to be good for me. That's point one. Point two, three, and four are you getting in the elevator and starting to go up, and starting to realize, oh my, what they said down in the, in the lobby at the front desk really is a big deal. This is good. That's what point two, three, and four are doing because it gets into God's immeasurable power at work in Christ through his resurrection, through his enthronement, and through his leadership in the church. But the key is, is that Paul is strapping it to God's power at work in our lives when he says according to the work that he worked in Christ. So let's now look at the second point, God's immeasurable power at work in the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 20. So again, that he worked in Christ when raising him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Well, we're about to celebrate Easter. And so it's a good time to read this verse and be thinking about the significance of the resurrection. I was reading an article in Psychology Today. Uh, This author, Robin Hennig, was recounting a time when she attended in Manhattan a public lecture called Reversing Death. And this was a lecture put on by three medical professionals, and their field was resuscitation science. And they talked about the importance of doing CPR for three hours, and perhaps letting machines do it instead of people. And they talked about the importance of getting people into a very cool place so that the brain stays doing all right. They, they argued that, you know, the results are there. Like, we do CPR for like 
a minute and we give up and we say they're dead. And they're like, they're not. You're just tired. Put them on a CPR machine in a cool place. They'll come back to life. Anyways, this whole thing, they argue about this. And she mentions at the end of the lecture that one of the speakers made this statement. I think we're still going to ultimately be mortal. But we can push that window back. The point is this. Outside of the resurrection, no one has ever risen from the dead. Death is permanent. Death is a reality that everyone but Jesus is powerless against. Jesus was not resuscitated. He didn't come back from death to die again. That's resuscitation. He was resurrected. He punched through the other side of death. He conquered death. That's what the resurrection is about. He is alive. James Montgomery Boyce says, Jesus' resurrection is not only proof of our resurrection as Christians, because he lives, we live like that. But his resurrection power is to be seen in our present victories over sin in this life, over the world, over the flesh, and over the devil. It was the news of the immeasurable power of God at work in the resurrection of Jesus that turned afraid and hiding disciples into bold martyr missionaries that founded the church. So God's immeasurable power at work in my life, God's immeasurable power at work in the resurrection of Jesus, and now God's immeasurable power at work in the heavenly enthronement of Jesus. Verse 20 and 22, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and then here's the next thing, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So where is Christ? Seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Have you ever played that game, King of the Mountain? Like, it's, not, it's really dangerous for adults to play that game. Um, it's also awkward, but it's a great game when you're a kid. King of the mountain. You find this hill that's hopefully like safely not too high, and you get up to the top. And what does it take to beat the king of the mountain? Right? It takes agility. It takes alertness. It takes balance. It takes constant effort. Right? You've you've seen it or you've played it. Hopefully. Well, Jesus, according to these verses, is the king of the mountain. God's immeasurable power at work has placed him so high above that he is seated and ruling. There are no real rivals or threats to him at all. Every other name of a king of a little mountain, the goats of our day, are pretenders and totally insignificant. 
beside his name in all eternity. It says here, he's been seated at his right hand in the heavenly places. He's seated. A picture of his work is finished. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. A picture of favor, of power, of authority. He's seated. What's he sitting on? Not a camping stool. He's seated on the throne of David. Picture of his royalty, his faithfulness to fulfill the promises of the Old Testament. How how distant is he from the rest of the people trying to be king of the mountain? Well, he answers, it says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Far. Not slightly above. Far. All rule in authority. Not most rule, not some rule, not some dominion, all rule in authority and dominion and power. That's Christ as he's enthroned. That's God's immeasurable power at work in the heavenly enthronement of Christ. He even says above every name that is named, above the names of great Roman leaders, above the names of Old Testament heroes that we try to emulate, above the names of celebrities, of presidents, of helpful teachers of our day, above every name, above your name, above your last name, the only name that saves, the only name that matters, the only name that will matter when you get to heaven, the only name that deserves our praise and our reverence. The name of Christ. God's immeasurable power at work in my life. And then we're going to think about that in terms of what he's done in Christ, in the resurrection, okay, in the enthronement in heaven, and now finally in the body of Jesus, the church. Verse 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to an impressive company. Big time promotion and job. What does it say? He gave this amazing leader, Jesus, a specific leadership position. Gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. You know, Ephesians is a book about the church. And this is the first mention of the church in Ephesians, and so it's worth some consideration. What's the meaning here? Well, I mean, I think it's a little hard to like dissect and unpack exactly what he's saying here, but I think it is saying that Jesus is the head and his church is the body. And the body here is said... You know, it's called the fullness of him, meaning I think that it's filled up by Christ, his presence. This verse then continues and says that through the church, Jesus fills all in all. Universe, the world. I'll give you a paraphrase from the message by Eugene Peterson. It says this, at the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body, 
in which he speaks and acts and by which he fills everything with his presence. So it's not just that Jesus attends church or that he loves church or that he thinks church is important. God has made the church, the people of God, the body of Christ, central in the outworking of his immeasurably great power through Christ. Think about celebrity endorsements. You know, what's that about? Like, basically, it's us wondering, hey, what basketball shoe do you wear when you dunk over the whole NBA? What watch do you wear when you check to see what time it is before you go win another Super Bowl? What expensive car do you drive as you share the road with us mere mortals? That's what endorsements are. The point is, Jesus, the one who was resurrected, the one who was enthroned in heaven by the immeasurably great power of God, endorses and operates through and has made central to his redemptive plan the church of Jesus Christ, his people, his body, to which he fills all in all. That's amazing truth. All of these are amazing truths. Knowing God's immeasurable power at work in my life as a believer in Jesus, in the resurrection of Jesus, the enthronement, and in the body of Jesus, the church. And so bow with me as we close in prayer, invite the worship team uh, to come back and lead us in a song of response.